Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dot Ball Podcast, where we focus on South African cricket. Uh, it's mostly Proteus at the moment, but the good news is that the domestic season will be starting uh, next, uh, this weekend, in fact. So once that gets up and running, we'll be uh, paying a lot of attention to domestic cricket as well, because... Uh, we, and uh, I say we because we're joined by former proteas Paul Harris and John Kent, and uh, we also have the doyen of cricket statisticians with us in Andrew Sampson. Welcome to you all, and uh, we all love domestic cricket as well. We uh, are great supporters of the local game as well. It's uh, obviously been a good little period for the proteas. Uh, finishing with a 3-0 whitewash of Sri Lanka uh, in Colombo. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, I, going into the series, I expected Sri Lanka to win. So I think 3-0 uh, is a very, very good result indeed. Uh, Paul Harris, your thoughts on that series? Yeah, a good one. Um, I thought I thought uh, the, the, the huge positive out of it was how um, Kesha Maharaj led the team. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, Probably not a quinky dink when you've got so many spinners in the team that he would probably bowl them quite well. But uh, you know, great for you know, obviously for him personally and for a you know sort of washed out spinner to see um, someone uh, you know leading our team that bowls spin and us picking so many uh, spinners and effectively them winning the series for us. So uh, it's great to see. Um, let's hope uh, and pray very hard that uh, the conditions when we are in the World Cup suit spin. Because if they do, well, um, you never, anything can happen. Yeah. Uh, John Kent, you obviously know Keshav Maharaj well, coming from uh, KwaZulu-Natal, Durban. And uh, he, he's he got a really good cricket head on his shoulders, doesn't he? And uh, uh, a natural leader, would you say? I mean, is he is he someone that the Proteus can look to now, uh, possibly in, in all formats? Uh, for, uh, as, a, as a captain, we do obviously have Dean Elgar and... Timber Bavuma in the permanent positions at the moment. Yeah, I think the uh, you know if Bavuma was uh, you know fully fit etc. As a captain, I think they're a bit worried about uh, without Bavuma's uh, leadership, uh, they're, they're going to have someone like Maharaj who's had some great experience and and won trophies with the the Dolphins the last few seasons, and he's he's been a very good captain, and his performances have just kept getting better and better in all the formats, as you've said, in the, that T20 tournament bubble they had, uh, the 50 over one uh, obviously wasn't around, but the, the T20 bubble that was played in Durban, the, those uh, conditions suited them perfectly. And like Paul says, um, basically that, you know, if, if the conditions do allow us and we've got such a spin heavy, you know, contingent at the moment, it'll shoot us down to the ground. Obviously it's nice to see Markram. I'm really excited about what he's been doing. Uh, at three, uh, Reese has uh, been included in the squad. Um, obviously, guys like Milan uh, not quite making that squad for some reason. I'm not quite sure what happened there. Um, with his record in ODI cricket right now, it's I don't know, quite hard to understand that move. But we carry on. Um, and then there's a few other areas where you know I, I saw a bit of an outcry on, online about you know guys like the the Fuffs and the, the Morrises and etc. and etc. and it, I know it just doesn't didn't really roll out very well. I think um, for the sort of selection panel or how they dealt with those guys because they you know what they all you know Tahir I've left out him as well sorry and uh, you know those sort of guys are 
You know what I mean? They are they are big players wherever they play. Um, so yeah, it's just a little bit disappointing. It seems like the communication wasn't ideal. But also, you know, obviously another spanner with Timber getting injured now. You know, is he going to be ready for the World Cup? If he is, he hadn't. He wouldn't have played any games at that time. So yeah, they're in a little bit of a quandary in that sense. I guess it all depends on what Bavuma's fitness is going to be like going into that tournament. Guys, before we chat about the World Cup squad, and, and there obviously are some issues there to to discuss. Um, let, let's first of all talk about the sort of style of play, the, the the balance of the South African team that we saw in Sri Lanka, and whether that's going to be a, a good way forward for the World Cup. And uh, I think we all agree a, a spin-heavy attack, fantastic. Um, but that does come with consequences. Um, and one of them seems to be that we're only fielding five specialist batsmen. Um, can that work at the World Cup, Paul? Sure, it's a tough one. Um, you know, you want six specialist batsmen generally with your all-rounder at seven. I mean, that's the ideal uh, sort of the lineup. The problem is, is I don't think we've really had an all-rounder that's really stuck his hand up with the bat. Um, you know, there's been a couple of guys every now and then with the ball. Uh, you, know, that, you know, George Linder, I thought, was incredibly... I don't even know if it was on Forces of play, but you know the the, the the point is the guy, poor guy's played. I mean, he's been a good trick, and uh, he's been playing every single team, uh, doing really well with the ball. Poor cut squad comes out, and, and a guy that hasn't been playing all of a sudden jumps the queue and plays ahead of him. I mean, it's you know, it's it's, it's not a good look. But be that as it may, he's a spin heavy uh, um, group of guys, um, and, and in order to play that lineup, I think you've got to you know sacrifice the batter. Is it risky? It certainly is. Um, you know, is it a, is it a, a, a balance that can win you a World Cup? I don't think so. Uh, I think at some stage you're going to need someone down the order to play a, a serious knock. Um, would I have liked a bit more experience in the batting lineup? Sure. Um, but you know, T20 cricket's a, a very odd uh, odd game. If by hook or by crook we can get through to a knockout game. I wouldn't think that many guys uh, with our spin bowling and our fast bowling lineup uh, that would want to face us. Um, I think that there's just that one sort of question mark of would there be an all-rounder somewhere that could come into that uh, team and uh, and fill the gap. John, are you happy with the balance the way it has been uh, lately in the Proteus? I think uh, I'm still a little bit worried about our seamers. Uh, obviously, our frontline seamers, talking about Rabada and Gidi, Nokia. Uh, uh, so I'm a little bit worried about, you know, obviously they haven't bowled that much in the series with all the spinners having a bowl. When they did bowl, they went at a, at a quite a high rate, which is quite worrying because, um, you know, this, the, the, the conditions aren't going to get any easier for the bowlers at, at you know, in the UAE and, and surrounds. So that's going to be a tough one. I think the interesting call was obviously having a, a Milda-Pretorius combination. Um, you could say they're both similar players. Um you know that's where the Linda maybe chat would come in, where he's he's obviously a, a spinning all rounder, not a not a seeming all rounder. Uh, naturally, obviously Fortain, Maharaj, they don't offer as much with a bat um, as obviously a Linda. But saying that, obviously, if the guy's bowling beautifully, you know, there's not, nothing wrong with that. But I think that the balance it's going to be interesting how they shape up Riza. Quinny, we know Quinny, if Quinny, Markram batting one and batting three, if they have a really good World Cup, I think it's going to be takes a lot of pressure off a lot of other guys. Um, uh, guys like Funny Dussons, Millers, uh, Clarsons, those type of players in that middle order. I think if they come off, we, we you know, it'll, it'll give us a great start. 
Yeah, and Andrew, do you have any thoughts on the World Cup squad? Any surprises or shock omissions for you? Not really, although, as, as, as we've been saying, I think George Linda was unlucky to miss out. Um, but uh, pretty much as expected, um, other than that, I would think. Uh, it's going to be, a, you know, obviously, the World Cup for spinners, so we've pretty much got that base covered, I think, fairly well at the moment. Yeah, I must say, guys, that, that the George Linda mission is the one that really uh, actually made me angry. Um, because I, I don't feel it's the way players should be treated. Uh, George Linder, I think, played in 14 of the last 16 T20s or something like that. Um, did his job very well. Uh, sure, we would have liked to have seen a few more runs from him, but uh, in terms of bowling, he had an economy rate of, of just over seven. He took um, you know, an average of at least a wicket a game. So did a great game, uh, a great job. Uh, and then suddenly, having not really done anything wrong, he's out of the squad um, for a guy who's hardly played. And, I mean, I rate Bjorn Fortain. I think he's also a very good bowler, and he showed in the last three games uh, in Sri Lanka uh, that he's a quality performer. But, Paul, just to, in terms of the way players are treated um, and the message that sort of gives to players, um, as a former player yourself, what, what did you make of Linda's treatment? Look, it is what it is, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it, 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 the sort of makeup of the squad wasn't there. I mean, we know we all live in South Africa. We're not stupid. Uh, we know what uh, sort of targets have to be in place. And I'm not saying for one second that Fortain is a, is a sort of target player or a quota player. Any any stretch of the imagination is a very good cricketer. But it all re it reeks of that. I mean, you know, if we can't speak about it, then, you know, what's the point of having it? And, uh, you know, they obviously got to a stage in, the, in, the, in that squad where there weren't uh, uh, sort of enough numbers. They did the maths. Um, you know, if uh, Linda is honest with himself, you'll probably say he hasn't been as good as he could have been with the bat. If he had been, then it might not have been a direct competition with the ball with the chain. And um, the powers that be decided that they needed to uh, um, include for chain. And uh, I think it was uh, the sort of uh, the makeup of that squad. Um, I, just, I can't see any other reason for it. It wasn't a cricketing reason. Um, and if you know, if we can't all sit around a table and be honest and talk about it, and everyone be scared about the sort of elephant in the room, then we you know we won't get to the right answer. So that is the reason for it. Is that, in my opinion, I mean, someone else can correct me if they think I'm wrong. Is that we need to make up a um, sort of more uh, of, of the of the colour scenario in our um, makeup of our squad, and uh, and that's why uh, Linda was left out. Well, it would seem that the magic number is seven because. Uh for the last decade or so, South Africa have never gone to a World Cup with less than seven players of colour. Uh, e even if that was the case, though, John Kent, I, I still think the selectors made a mistake because uh, with those constraints, I, I would have still chosen George Linder and probably be ahead of Vian Mulder because, to me, Mulder and Pretorius, uh, you, you've touched on it. To me, they are the same cricketer. What do you think? Yeah, I think it is. You could have maybe gone with uh, uh, Linda and one of those two, like you just mentioned now. Um, that probably gives you a little, a couple more options, uh, you know, because obviously we've got those big quicks up our sleeve, and then you got those two seeming all rounders. You could probably would have done with one. Uh, Piccolo Quayo is a, uh, you know, a reserve player um, as Linda is at the moment, and uh, yeah, I just, yeah, I just, if you go straight with the spin bowling element, if you go to the stats, Linda's out bowled. I'd bowl them all, to be honest. Other than Shamsi, obviously, we know he's number one in the world. But that—that's yeah, you know, that's where, like you're saying, Keith, people have noticed this and they've, they've 
got quite angry about this. Um, and, and obviously the treatment of players, you know, like, is this what we do to, you know, some of the best players in the country? You know what I mean? It is a bit of a sad situation. Well, perhaps in 15 years' time, there'll be another SJN and uh, George Linder can go and complain then. But uh, just moving to the, uh, the the World Cup itself, and uh, I, I must say, w- winning three T20 series in a row now has built my confidence a bit, and I think it's possible for the Proteas to make the semifinals. I, I believe that they can beat Australia, England in those conditions, We've shown that we can beat the West Indies uh, in kind of subcontinental conditions as well. Um, and Sri Lanka are probably going to be the other team uh, in the Proteus group. So cause for optimism, Paul, that, that the Proteus could make the semifinals? Oh, certainly. Uh, look, I think that the Proteus have got, this, have got the bowling attack uh, for, for all conditions. I honestly believe that. Uh, you know, We've got the wrist spin, you know, we've got the left arm spin. You've got pace, uh, you know, you've got experience. So I think in the bowling front, we've got uh, all our bases covered. Uh, the, the the question mark around this Proteus team is, can the top five, let's put a question mark, top six, get enough runs for that bowling unit to win us games? Um, I think that's the key to the, the World Cup success. If we get, you know, three key batters doing really well, I think one of our bats would have to be now in the series. Um, you know, Quinton de Kock or a, or a David Miller or a Markram. So I'm going to go through the top five. <laughs> Either of them, uh, you know, need to have an absolute blinder of a tournament and 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 give us a, a lot of runs. Uh, if not, I mean, I think two or three of them have got to have a blinder of a tournament of those top batters. Because um, as, as I said, I think our bowling unit is world class. Um, we cover most areas. We have the world number one bowler floating around in there. He tends to get three for you know, two or three every single game. And um, if we can get sort of, the, I don't think we need to with that bowling lineup get the 170s and 180s. I think if we can get the 150s and 160s, we've got mm. a real chance. John, uh, Australia and England, having watched what South Africa have done lately, sh- surely they're going to be a little bit nervous about playing us in the United Arab Emirates. Yeah, I think the I think those Aussies, I think they're ripe for the picking. To be honest, I don't think they've played brilliant cricket. They've come off a poor series against. Bangladesh, they got bowled out for some very low score, low totals there, um, and obviously England. We know they they got they got quite a bit of depth and some dangerous match winners up their sleeves. So I think the England game will be the biggest game. Obviously, we want to get off to a great start and and try and get one over the Aussies early on. That'll give us a great confidence booster. Um, in this, you know, we can't hang around and have a few games trying feel your way into it. We need to really start well and beat Australia and beat them well, I think, and that will give us the confidence to to hopefully give England a good one as well. John, you've uh, commentated um, in leagues around the world and, and obviously you follow these various T20 leagues. Um, just touching on the Faf Duplessis, Imran Tia, Chris Morris, these guys, uh, Riley Rousseau, I guess, um, guys who haven't been chosen, um, one of the reasons that, I mean, I think maybe is overlooked a bit is that, sure, people are seeing their great performances um, in these leagues, but the standard of those leagues, how, is it below international level? I mean, for me, those are franchise competitions, so it's it's a step below uh, international level. E- even the IPL is, is a little bit below. 
Yeah, I think in, in those teams, there are going to be those international stars um, that you've got to face up against. But then, like you say, they go through the different ranges where there'll be franchise domestic players. Then there'll be a band of players that are, are young up-and-comings. So, yeah, you know, you can, you can, you can, you know, find your way and put in some really good performances in these leagues. I think maybe the difference of, like, we, we see the guys performing around the world, like Tahir, Morris, Faf, those sort of guys. But in the last year and a half, they've been, you know, they've been fully available for these tournaments, I suppose. Um, you know, a lot of the, you know, Rabadas, Norkias, even Fandadusen, uh, to a lesser extent, in them in the last sort of year and a half, they don't really get a, always the opportunity to to play in these tournaments um, because they're on international tours, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, yeah, I still think, you know, the, these conversations should and could have happened, um, you know, over this last year. It just sounds like they couldn't really, either they didn't have those chats where they couldn't agree on, on terms for these players in this big tournament coming up, which yeah, obviously is quite, you know, disappointing. Paul, you uh, have a lot of experience of team dynamics and, and that sort of thing. How, how difficult is it for, for a player, um, both for the player himself and for the team, to kind of come in from the cold into a team when you haven't been part of it for most of the year, um, and then go into a World Cup? Look, I don't, I don't read too much into that in the professional era. I think it's more about game time. I think the, the, the issue would be if none of those guys have played any cricket, which is not the case. Um, Fafi Pussi has played quite a bit of cricket, although he did miss a bit because he was uh, concussed. But he's come straight back from his concussion and scored a heap of runs. And he got a hundred, a big hundred the other day, and then another 85, um, you know, to help his team you know, do, do very well. So, I mean, I would have given it my best uh, to get those guys in the, in, in the side. Uh, you know, we can point fingers at the management. We can point fingers at the players. I would imagine the truth is somewhere in the middle uh, between those two. Um, I would. Uh, I really don't think, or well, I know because I've asked, is that uh, Bachi and, and Smithy wouldn't have not got tried to get hold of them. Um, they have. I just think that there just wasn't a way uh, sort of, of getting everyone to agree to certain things. And uh, those guys aren't playing. Um, uh, you know, we've got, got to come to terms with it, rightly or wrongly. They're not playing. Uh, we've got the squad that are going over. Um, is it a squad that can win? Probably not. Um, but is it a squad that can certainly compete? And if they get a bit of luck and a couple of their senior players really, really do well, then who knows? I mean, we've had teams that have been uh, sort of the favourites by miles before going into World Cups and haven't won. Um, so who says that a team that is you know, certainly not a favourite can't go in and surprise a whole lot of people? Um, there's some world-class players there. You know, just because uh, all the IPL teams aren't rushing over you know, most of our players doesn't make them not good players. Um, you know, Quinton de Kock could win you a World Cup by himself. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm still positive. I think that we could surprise a few teams, but are we a winning side? I doubt mm. Okay, well, speaking of Proteus stalwarts and uh, individual match winners, uh, some sad news recently, the retirement of Dale Steyn uh, from all formats of the game. And uh, Andrew, uh, just uh, obviously Dale Steyn has incredible numbers uh, <laughs> across the board, uh, but I believe you've just picked out a, a few that uh, are pretty unique to him and, and really illustrate uh, the the greatness of the man. Well, I'm not sure that the ones one of them illustrates the greatness of him. Although obviously he was um, one of the all-time great fast bowlers uh, across the world. 
But that one would be a, a more fun stat, which is my favorite Dale Stane stat, is his batting record in Boxing Day tests. Um, he played 10 test matches that started on Boxing Day and scored 400 runs and an average of 33.33 in those, which is quite a lot higher than his normal average. And that included uh, both his 50s and his three next best scores. So five of his, his top five scores were all made in Boxing Day tests. And... Well, just on the side, he also happens to be the leading wicket-taker in Boxing Day tests worldwide. He had 49 wickets in those 10 tests at 24.59. Um, just ahead of Shane Warne, he got 47 Boxing Day test wickets. He's like Father Christmas. I mean, he always delivers on board, a day after Christmas. Well, there you go. I mean, he obviously enjoys his Christmas lunches or whatever it is that, that keeps him going on the, on, the, on the Boxing Days. But perhaps a, a more um, illustrative uh, stat is that he is the leading wicket-taker amongst fast bowlers, visiting fast bowlers in Asia. Um, obviously, it's not, Asia is not, generally a more spin-friendly environment, and, and so a lot of seamers have struggled there. But in 22 tests in Asia, he took 92 wickets at 24.11, um, a comfortable lead over Courtney Walsh, who's the second highest on that list, was 77 wickets. Yeah, I think that, that subcontinent record is... Uh, what pretty much clinches it for me, that um, the greatest fast bowler of this era, uh, and certainly one of the greatest of all time, and I, I was very privileged to be in Nagpur uh, in 2010, I think it was, when uh, quite the most incredible display of reverse swing bowling by Dale Stane. Uh, Paul Harris, I think you were there as well. I, I, Boxing Day batting, I, I seem to remember Dale's epic innings in, in Melbourne, did you come in before Dale? I think you took a few blows on the body and kind of paved the way for Dale. Yeah, I think I took all the shine off the ball uh, for, for Dale. <laughs> uh, I think myself and JP put on 100, and then they put on uh, 250, I think it was. So um, the, the tail did wag, uh, but, you know, Dale's saying that particular test was my favorite, actually. I know you mentioned Nagpur, um, which was amazing, but we got the ball changed and they've all reversed. And uh, Stanky, you know, it was like with the reversing ball. But that particular test match in Melbourne, you got 10 in the game. And uh, I can assure you guys that wicket was uh, was a, was like the end one. It was a road. It really wasn't a lot in it uh, for the seamers. And uh, he was the difference. So, you know, by far my uh, the best bowler I've ever seen um, for me personally. Um, I didn't get to see any of the sort of older Oaks life. But uh, certainly Dale Stane, for me, the best bowler I've ever seen in my life. Um, you know, I had the ability to crack a game open, you know, from nowhere to win you a game. He must have been what he certainly was a captain's dream. And more importantly for me, uh, the kind of guy he was off the field. I'm fortunate that I played all my cricket with Dale Stane. Uh, got to know him really well. And uh, by far, in a way, the, my favorite uh, a person and mate that I've met out of cricket uh, is Dale Stane. He's always uh, sort of you know, ready to go fishing or ready to go for a surf, I suppose we kind of like the same things as well. So I suppose it would be natural. But just a genuinely nice guy. And, uh, you know, he kind of played cricket the way I liked it. He was a really good oak off the field and a complete psycho on the field. So yeah, kind of the kind of exact recipe that I would have liked if, uh, if I could bowl fast. <laughs> well, one thing that has been uh, piquing my interest for a long time and now that he's retired, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a shot. Uh, Paul, where does the nickname Julio come from? I'm not actually sure, to be honest with you. I think it came from the fact that he looked. I don't know. Actually, I know that he got to the Titans. His uh, nickname was uh, was Sunshine. He looked like he looked like that guy. He had long blonde hair and a little bit like he has now. 
Uh, like that, uh, that guy in that one movie, I forget what it was, where they called him Sunshine. It was an American football movie, I think, where they called that. And, really he, had, and he had a skateboard under his arm, didn't he, most of the time? Sure. <laughs> sure where Julio came from, actually. That's a very good question. I probably should know that. <laughs> but, 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 I, but I don't. I think maybe De Villiers gave it to him. Ah. I, I've got absolutely no idea where that would have come from. But, uh, but it's certainly it's certainly stuck. John, you would have had uh, quite a few tussles on the field with Dale. Uh, any memories of standout occasions and uh, just just your uh, impression of Dale as a as a bowler and as a person? Yeah, I just love where like how he came to prominence in such a short period of time. Like Paul played all his cricket with him, and before he joined Paul, uh, you know, Northerns, the Titans, were, you know, at, at that time, he he'd come off the map. He's come out of nowhere, and he, he just had raw pace. And the thing is, he had such a great wrist over the years, you know, like that he's just got, he just had all the attributes you could ever ask for. And uh, obviously we had a couple of games. I think he, Paul was probably there at, the, at Centurion the one time. Um, and uh, basically, I think Paul was standing in Madonna and I think I got one on the head and I was man down there and uh, I wasn't getting any compliments <laughs> while I was down there either by Cullinan and Harris. But anyway, you, you get yourself up and uh, dust yourself off to face another 150 ball. So that wasn't the, the you know the most enjoyable moment of batting, I'd ever, I'd ever say. But um, yeah, what a legend. I love the guy so much. You know, he's just got a smile on his face and he just, you see his face and he just lights up when he sees another cricketer. Um, all round great guy and amazing cricketer. If I may throw a story in about Dale, we? but we're talking about sort of uh, uh, world class styles of bowling. Um, it didn't actually happen in a, in, a, in a test match, it happened in a four day game. We were playing in Bloemfontein against Free State, and at the time, it was uh, there was no love lost between the two sides. So, you know, two very good teams. Obviously, the Titans are a better side than, the, than them, clearly. And uh, we kind of wanted to show them. And we were playing away. And Stanky had just come back from a sort of middle. And he was only allowed to bowl 15 overs. So we get there and the pitch is really, really green. And uh, we think, okay, well, this is not too bad. And uh, Stanky comes on to bowl. And Lewis Borsman runs down and hits him for six, I think, over his head. And I think he had a few words. Probably shouldn't have. Because that's uh, I was standing at second slip. And I think I was standing just before the, the, the boundary edge. He was bowling so I think he got seven in the first and eight in the second, uh, and including shattering uh, Jacques Rudolph's hand. I mean, I, I talk about it to Jacques quite a bit. That spot of bowling, and he, I think he got a hat-trick as well. He got a hat-trick in the first, I think eight in the second, or maybe the other way around, eight and seven, including a hat-trick and breaking poor old Jacques Rudolph's hand. And he was only allowed to bowl uh, 15 overs in innings. So uh, shows you how good uh, Dale Stane was. And also a lesson to all young opening batsmen that don't irritate the fast bowler. <laughs> yes, indeed. Chatting, chatting to Pierre Joubert about that game, he, he was in the slips and he tells me that um, Dale was bowling so fast that uh, I think he, it was Jacques Rudolph who got an edge um, and it hit Pierre on his leg. Uh, on his on his shin, and he's actually still got a scar <laughs> from from that blow. So yeah, it, it was a skewed so, uh, sound. You should you should speak to uh, Victor Petang about that game as well. I think he was standing just north of Square Leg. <laughs> a wise man, I think. Yeah, Dale, here on my stumps. Have a go. <laughs> Let's keep this short. Yeah, just a slight exaggeration from Paul there. It was fourteen wickets in the match, not fifteen. <laughs> Six for 
Ah, there we go. That's why we have Andrew Sampson around, so we don't spread fake news. Yeah, and, and keeps us accurate. There was a hat trick, yes, definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, yeah, Dale Stone, we will we will miss that wonderfully languid run up, the beautifully smooth action and uh, swing at high pace, uh, irresistible stuff, and just a wonderful gentleman and person as well. So. Uh, Kudos to you, Dalstein. Thanks for all the entertainment and the memories. And uh, that'll be the end of this episode for now. We'll be back soon as the domestic season starts kicking off and we uh, build up to the T20 World Cup in the United Arab Emirates. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe uh, if you would like to be alerted for when our next podcast is. And uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. Uh, at dot ball podcast thanks very much for listening and we look forward to chatting to you again <laughs>